consumers, we have a love-hate relationship with possessions. We love to acquire them, but we also have uh, anxiety about the amount that we have and the way that we're keeping house. We have guilt about overconsumption and overstuffed homes and chaotic houses and disorderly rooms and Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I speak with influencers from all over the world who are contributing to the common good in all kinds of interesting ways. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is one of the scientifically proven ways we can age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow zestful ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will inspire you to live with zest. To find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and my book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, hop over to zestfulaging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my weekly newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at upcoming episodes and other fun and somewhat quirky tidbits. If you love the podcast, I'd be grateful if you shared it with your friends. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. Our technical director is Stephen Litweiler, and we have a really interesting uh interview for you today. So here's the truth. Unless you are a committed minimalist, you have a lot of stuff. In fact, we're surprised how much stuff we have. Where does it all come from? But have we thought about our relationship to our things and how it changes over our lifespan? Why is it so much more complicated than just figuring out if something in our closet sparks joy? Professor David Eckert has researched questions like this over his academic career. His acclaimed book, Downsizing, Confronting Our Possessions in Later Life, is not a how-to, but a deep dive into our relationship with our stuff, how it changes, and how it's much harder to part with stuff than the how-to guides would have us believe. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm fascinated by this topic, as as uh, as I shared with you earlier, um, and I let's start off with this question. I would love to hear more about what sparked your interest into delving into what's a very complicated relationship with our material possessions. Well, the beginning of my career, I did a lot of work studying retirement, how people you know approach it how they decide to retire, how they adjust to retirement, um, what's expected of retirees. And running out, running that out, I also became interested in relocation, which is mm. often an, an adjunct to retirement. People wonder, is this still a good place for me to live or should we live here indefinitely? And I, I can't remember exactly why I wandered over to the specific idea of delving into possessions, but it's been the most interesting thing that I've ever done. And it's I'm really less interested in the things. Many people who are interested in older people possessions love to talk about the things, but I'm more interested in, in the people. And you said at the beginning, Nicole, that we have a lot of stuff. 
Well, I'll give you a percentage here of people who are anxious about their stuff. We asked people in a national survey, um, and it was a representative survey of adults over the age of 60 in America, thinking of all the things that you have in your home, do you think you have more things than you need, fewer things than you need, or just the right amount? Well, how many people, what percentage think they have more things than they need? <laughs> and I know you think the answer is 100%, but it was 60%. Mm. And I was, I was surprised by that, um, that overwhelmingly people say that I really have more things than I need. And if you apply that to the population of people over the age of 60, we're talking about 35 or 40 million people who are aware that they have too much stuff. Now that's a heck of a market for mm. advice. I mean, 20 or 30, 40 million people for advice and services. Um, so I began studying this question. And as you said at the beginning, it's not a self-help book or how-to book. Good Lord, there are a lot of those. Mm -hmm. the consumers, we have a love-hate relationship with possessions. We love to acquire them, but we also have uh, anxiety about the amount that we have and the way that we're keeping house. We have guilt about overconsumption and overstuffed homes and chaotic houses and disorderly rooms. And as a result, the world is well supplied with self-help advice, home organizers, clutter control gurus um, who tell us that it would be ethically better and aesthetically better and better for our mental health if we uh, thinned out our possessions and we were living with less. I'm going another way from that. I want to think about the predicament of possessions among older people. I take it as a given. I don't scold people for having things. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to scold people. <laughs> and this and by the way, this I'm never talking about hoarding here. That's mm -hmm. a that's a subject for mental health professionals. Yes, I understood. Yeah. Um but it's I take it as a given that we furnished and equipped our lives in order to be workers and parents and property holders and leisure participants. And when you do that, things accumulate. Uh, the practical question is, when you get into later life, can you continue to host or accommodate those things? So the issue is not about clutter or organizing, but the sheer volume of things. Mm -hmm. And as we begin to, uh, as we move into later life, the ability to accommodate is a question that we ask ourselves, can I keep all this stuff up? And also other people begin to wonder about the same thing. So it's not a problem of material in space. I think it's a problem of, it's an issue one of adaptation and aging. Mm -hmm. How much energy it takes, how much bandwidth it takes to, as you say, host all of your things. Yeah, well, you know, you think that, you think that the things just sit there. They're objects, you put them somewhere but they actually um, need to be cleaned and maintained and insured and looked after and placed somewhere. And sometimes we attribute these things an inner life such that they would feel bad if they were put in the <laughs> wrong place or they were acquired by the wrong person. So they have to be taken care of. And especially this goes now to people who are homeowners, they have actually have properties to take care of and great worry to people that we 
have talked to how to maintain the home, how to maintain the property, and maybe where you are right now today, mm-hmm, how to mm-hmm. get that how to snow. get that snow shoveled. <laughs> or snow blown as the case may yeah, be. We're I'm way old, far. I'm We're beyond school. the shovel. <laughs> I'm old school. Um, ah. um, so I've kind of you know come up with a way to think about all the things that we have. Um, in our possession, and I've got this metaphor, and I've found it helpful all the way through to talk about, I use the me- the, con- the metaphor of a convoy, mm-hmm. and we are accompanied through life by a material convoy of things. Um, there are tens of thousands, I think, yeah, pretty easily tens of thousands of things in a household. Some of them are cherished and special. Some of them are very, very ordinary, and a lot of them have been completely forgotten about. I I ask you, Nicole, do you know what's under the sink in your kitchen? Under there? Do you know what's down there? Do you really know what's under there? You don't know. It's all mysterious to you. You haven't looked at it in a long, long time. So a lot of things are um, forgotten. So this material convoy, it's about all the things that accompany us across time and space. Some things join the convoy, sometimes leave the convoy. There's important things and there's less important things, but it follows us from cradle to grave. Mm -hmm. And things come and things go, but there's always a convoy. And so the manageability of the convoy and the disposition of it comes into question in later life. Hi, everyone. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down, and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. 
And of course, you did a lot of interviewing. Um, and I'm curious, is there a general pattern of how people decide then in later life? Well, what have you learned about what stays and what goes? Well, a lot of stuff stays. <laughs> As I said, things leave the convoy, and over their 60s, 70s, and 80s, people are less, less likely to clean out or thin out the things that they have, less likely to offer um, things for sale. And people know, most people know that this task confronts them, whether they move or don't move. But especially if they think about moving, they're characteristically moved to a smaller place with fewer bedrooms and fewer rooms mm -hmm. and smaller property, and they know that they're going to um, have to cut things down. They know that this task is awaiting them, and so they wonder about how they're going to face it. If they want to continue to live independently, they're going to move to a smaller place um, or even if people want peace of mind about the future. In other words, if something were to happen to me, would I be embarrassed if people came into my house and saw what I had? It, it just starts to, I, I call it the predicament of, of possessions. I it, see. Yeah, it, it's a real dilemma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And does it cause stress, do you think, for people who are aging to know that, well, we're all aging, obviously, but when uh, we're getting closer to making decisions about downsizing, is it a, uh, is well, it a palpable stress of what am I going to do with this stuff and how am I going to decide what stays and what comes with me? Right. The In that same survey that we took, where we dis discovered that 60% of older adults think they have too many things. We also asked, um, when you think of all the things that you have at your house, how reluctant does that make you feel about moving? Does that make you feel very reluctant or somewhat reluctant? And very reluctant is 45%. Mm -hmm. And put together with somewhat reluctant, you have 75% of people over the age of 60 think that, boy, that's going to be a lot of work if I ever had to move. And people know that moving is a possibility for them, no matter how much they insist that the only way they're leaving their house is feet first in a mm -hmm. box. Mm -hmm. You can say that all you want, but you know that there's a high probability that you will need to go somewhere else someday in order to live more independently and, in fact, in order to live better. And I think that many people are also thinking about, if I don't do it, my kids <laughs> are going to have to do it. Somebody's going to have to address yeah. this. It's got to go somewhere. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so we largely interviewed people. We, we did it in the about 130 households in the uh, Kansas City area, where I'm located, but also in the metropolitan Detroit area, where we, we were able to get a diverse um, sample of people. And one of the reasons we were looking particularly for a diverse sample of people was that when we were trying to get funds from um, uh, foundations to conduct this research, people said, well, this is mainly a problem of affluent people. Mm. Um, you know, people with modest incomes, they don't have to worry about this. So we got people with modest incomes and low incomes, and we interviewed all kinds of people. And it is a problem all across the board, or a predicament, mm -hmm. as I should say, all across the board. Um, and we collected, we've collected these uh, materials now, these findings of these studies of various kinds into a, into a book. Um, 
that's uh, come out recently. So when people think that they're going to move or they think about this problem in the future, there's um, five kinds, four kinds of work that they have to engage in. One is it's a cognitive task. You have to think through endless detail, plan things, make lists of things, begin to strategize about what possessions are going to go where and what's, what are you going to take with you. Um, it's going to be a physical effort as well because you have to bend and stoop and lift and haul mm -hmm. about and you have to go to areas of the house. I have some other statistics here to talk about having energy. Um, people in their 70s, uh, there been national data on whether you have any difficulty stooping or kneeling or crouching. Half of people in their 70s say they have some level of difficulty doing that. And in their 80s, two-thirds of people have difficulty mm -hmm. doing it. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine cleaning out a house without stooping, crouching, mm -hmm. or kneeling? And I can give you comparable numbers on being able to lift uh, weights as much as 10 pounds. Could you lift a 10-pound weight and carry it about? Well, by the time you get to the 80s, half of people cannot. And that. you and we got crawl spaces. We've oh, got goodness. all kinds of really awkward, you know. I think about my uh, garage has a, a, a an area on top like a loft. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's not it's not easily accessible. No, and and these are called the backstage areas of the house. In order to keep, in other words, the the, prop, the predicament of possession stems in part not from being bad housekeepers, but from being good housekeepers mm. and putting things away in those crawl spaces <laughs> and up on that loft and and way behind in the cupboards and the drawers and and having a house all squared away, all tidy, all presentable. But man, it is full. Mm-hmm. The other thing you talked about in, in your book and, and in your work, which I found so interesting, is getting really granular about what's, what is our relationship? How do we feel about our stuff and how that changes? And what is the accumulation of stuff mean for our identity, mean for what we bring to the world, how we see ourselves, how other people see see us um, and how that really shifts over the lifespan. Well, the, the classic thing that the psychologists say is that possessions are part of, of an extended self. Mm -hmm. They're extensions of myself. Um, and what my values are, I have possessions around me that reflect those values. What I'm proud of, I have around me. What delights me, I have around me. Now, I said before that a lot of things are forgotten, but we do have, I mean, we have things for many, many reasons because they delight us or they symbolize me or they symbolize other people, all those heirlooms that we have, mm -hmm. because they have a communication value. They tell my story to other people. The two basic reasons why we have anything is because they're useful and because they symbolize something. Mm -hmm. And when we decide that the things are not useful or they don't symbolize me anymore, then they become a candidate for being divested uh, out, of, uh, out of 
out of you. Well, like you were saying, just as we were saying before, I have my snow shovels. Well, mm-hmm. let's say that those are not useful anymore. What's more useful is I have a machine now that clears snow. Um, there's another thing that we do with possessions, and I think that make them difficult to divest, which is many possessions, we haven't explored them yet or completely used them yet, and they promise what the psychologists call a possible self. Mm-hmm. I am someday going to be the person <laughs> that has cooked all those recipes in that shelf of cookbooks. <laughs> I am someday going to be the person, that <laughs> box of yarn in the closet. I'm going to get to that. I'm someday going to be the person mm-hmm. that masters that sporting equipment that's out in the garage. It promises somebody that I want to be, and therefore I'm not going to divest it until I divest myself of the idea that I'm not going to become a crocheter or a, a genius cook or a master <laughs> sportsman. So you're talking about, and here comes the psych- psychotherapist, right? Is maybe really addressing that I'm never going to know how to make a souffle. And and that there's loss associated with that because I want to be a woman who makes a nice souffle, but the reality is that's just not going to happen. And so I think you're asking people to, to have a reality check about how their lives really are and how they most likely will uh, proceed. Well, you've got it. At bottom, the confrontation with our possessions is a confrontation with ourselves. One of the, we were talking about cooking just now or entertaining, and one of the things that, that happens to especially women is the disassembly of the entire um a category of things that they have assembled for entertaining and for cooking and for being a hostess. So if you give away the roasting pan, if you have to give away the roasting pan, mm-hmm. are you still the mother? Mm-hmm. And it may be fine. You may be fine with that. And we have, we talked to many women and said, I am done with that entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I thank am, goodness. <laughs> they said, this woman said, my kids, they work and everything and they cook and they put the food out on the counters and everybody eats off those nice plastic plates and I'm supposed to stay up all night washing dishes in China? <laughs> I am done with that. Uh-huh. But it is, interestingly, her husband was not done with that. And so they didn't see eye to eye on, uh, and he liked, I think, sitting at the head of the table. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. So you're really ask this is a a really profound brings up profound questions. Yeah. Confronting our stuff. It's not just about does this spark joy? You know, does it fit? Does it make me feel the way I want to feel? It's about what is my life about? Who am I going to be and do I have the courage? to look that square in the face. Mm -hmm. Some of the, uh, there was uh, several widows in our study had moved to assisted living. So these are small living quarters that they're in. And we asked them about dishes and they said they had kept, and it's invariably they said they had kept service for four or service for six. The service for 12 and the second set of China is all gone. And they would say this with some pleasure. That's the size of my life now four plates 
or six plates. And a couple of them, it would take me to the cupboard and show me, that's my life now. And they're glad for it because mm-hmm. it's a life mm-hmm. now that suits, um, suits the way they want to live. Mm-hmm. So there's some freedom in really acknowledging, look, it used to be I was a 12-place setting yeah. woman, and now the reality is I'm a four-place setting woman, mm-hmm. and there's something about like right-sizing, like yep. this is congruent with the reality of my life. Yeah, yeah. Almost everybody that we talked to um, and, and we led them through exactly how the process went. We gave them a long list of, of different kinds of material goods that they could comment on. But when all was said and done, their evaluation was they were pretty satisfied with what they had done. Mm. Um, they were pleased with what they had done. This one woman, I mean, so you could, you could look at downsizing, moving, and thinning down one's things, or thinning out one's things in anticipation of moving as a step down in life. But you could also see it as a step forward. One of the, if I could quote one of the women, she said, I would have stayed if I could. Yes, I would have stayed if I could, but I won't go back. I've got to go on. I can't go back. Mm-hmm. How has your research affected your relationship with your things? made me guilty about what I have. Oh. Um, we, my wife and I started a conversation on a timetable potentially to um, leave our house because we're now empty nesters. And this was a great house to raise children and it was convenient to our work. And uh, we don't work now and our children have left. And so what kind of dwelling are we going to live in? But before we can uh, buy that house or move to that, uh, that new place, we are going to have to um, deal with the things that are right before us. On the agenda for this weekend is uh, my collection. Do you, do you remember those uh, slideshows people would put on with the circular? Sure, cir- with, the with cir- a circular. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I inherited my family's collection of those carousels. There's only 800 slides in there. I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> I'm not sure. I think we're going to throw some of them away. I mean, how many pictures of the Grand Canyon do you need? <laughs> but there's also, but there are also an equivalent number of when our family was young. That's what we did, and I have to deal with. I have to deal with that stuff, and it. I think it would be wrong to move it to a new place and not mm. somehow distribute it to the people who would really appreciate it. My husband has one of those, and I keep looking at it thinking, it's collecting a lot of dust. And it is, and you yeah, better hope yeah. that bulb doesn't blow out, because then <laughs> You're I don't, in know, big if, I don't yeah. know if you can buy them anymore. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, what I'm taking from uh, how you're talking about this is that our relationship with our things is complicated and profound. Is that, does that square with what you've learned? Yes. A relationship with some things is complicated and profound. Mm. But there are a lot of really, really ordinary things in a house. Um, things, as I said, you've forgotten about. Uh, things that are up in the attic, things that are stored away in the garage. And those things, perhaps, it would be easy to see them as being in the way of the person that you want to be in the near future. When... 
when people people downsize, they be, they first of all think of the special things that they have, the precious things, the heirlooms, mm. and that gets them thinking in a certain direction. And the direction they think in is, well, I've got to give those to someone who would like them, who would value them, or I've got to sell them and get the money out of those things. The problem is on a on the deadline for moving, and the majority of people take three months to do this, to cut down their material convoy by half or even mm. two-thirds, um, that doesn't move much material out of the house, giving things away and selling things. Because nobody wants your stuff. Well, there's reasons for that. <laughs> <laughs> let's admit it might not be that good. Or let's admit that you know the people you're trying to give it to already have things. Who needs a third cutting board or a fourth cutting board mm -hmm. or a fifth cutting board? Um but the yeah, that's a whole separate question. Whether the children, um, ch we often read this in the paper that children don't want things, and it's unflattering to older people. It's unflattering to, to children. Um, but what I would say to adult children is, and what any elder can say to adult children is, once a downsizing gets underway and people are trying to distribute things, don't sit there and say, oh, that's not my style, ma. That's not my, that's not my taste, ma. Mm -hmm. Or I have that already, ma. You should just shut up and take it. Oh. That's my advice. Shut up and take it because the real gift there is the reception of the mm -hmm. object. Receiving things when somebody wants to give them to you is the gift. That is the good act here, and that's what um, we should all be practicing. Just shut up and take it. Mm -hmm. What a, what a, uh, that's really great <laughs> advice. I'm sure you've seen the New can Yorker. You see, can you see New that on a sampler? Just shut up and take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the New York, do you, I'm sure you've seen that New Yorker cartoon where a father is showing uh, his child a stuff to the gills garage and he says, one day, son, this will all be yours. <laughs> yeah. 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 So giving and selling are things we want to do with, uh, with our possessions, but they don't move a lot of merchandise out of the house. What is far more effective, I think, is donation. And our mm. people find is far more effective. I mean, donation agencies are open, business hours, they're all over the place. Mm -hmm. They take a wide variety of goods. Now, you do have to present, things have to be presentable and they have to be nice and you have to follow the rules. Um, but I, if you, you, what happens when people start to downsize, Nicole, is they start to think in batch terms. They just stop thinking about individual items. We start to hear about bags full and cars full and trucks full of things that left the house. They're no longer individual things. People are thinking in batches. Mm -hmm. And once that get, clicks into gear, it, it gets a little easier to divest. Mm -hmm. You know, it as you're describing this and you've talked about some of your research subjects it also sounds like that it's a mix of loss in some ways a recalibration of who we really are and a big opportunity yeah i couldn't say it better you know when we were done talking to people we led them all the way through this long this series of questions and you know how stressful was it and and who helped you um, we asked them if they bought anything new. It was the last question because we thought we'd end up on an up note. And they had. They had said, I haven't, I bought a new lamp, the woman said last month. I haven't 
done anything like that or I bought some clothes. People have been like holding back perhaps from the joy of going shopping and getting something new for themselves because they had too many things as it was. So um, there is new life after this. Mm-hmm. There's life after downsizing. <laughs> no, I think, you know, we... Uh, as a society, and I can speak for myself, I used to do a lot, I'm a crafty kind of person, and I used to have, uh, buy some beautiful beads, you know, they weren't just like run-of-the-mill ones, and, you know, they're from different countries, they're handmade, I don't do that anymore, but there's something about the psychological burden of having them in my basement, sort of just waiting for me, and I'm never going to come for them again, but I feel like there's this, you know, you know, I'm not quite ready to give them up, but I am doing other things and I've sort of moved beyond uh, beating. It's yeah. not part of me anymore. But you haven't let go of your inner Etsy. You're going to, you're going <laughs> to, you're, you're going to bead something. Well, there's something about they're too good to throw away. That's they're too right. valuable. That's right. Yeah. Somebody could use that even though you don't know who that is. Right. Yeah. Oh, and that's, well, that's actually another, I mean, you can give things away and you can sell things and you can donate things, but you can also throw things away. And uh, there's been a lot of research and it comes out of environmental concerns for trash and everything. People, both in this country and in Europe, they will not throw anything away that they think is useful. And those things also, like your perhaps your beads, they pile up in the house. People are very unwilling to throw anything away that could be useful to somebody else. But finding outlets for those things is is what the challenge is. Who wants those mm-hmm. beads? Who wants those extra reams of paper? Mm-hmm. Those fishing lures. Oh, yes. Mm, it is amazing. <laughs> I, I'm also a thrifter, and I, I had the great uh, honor of uh, speaking with Adam Minter. Uh, he's the author. You may be familiar with Secondhand uh, uh-huh. and, and some of his work. And he followed the, uh, the lifespan of donations all through the cycle where yeah. they ended up actually doing quite a bit of benefit in some third world countries, developing countries. It was really fascinating to follow the lifespan, but it is amazing what you will find in thrift stores that are new and very expensive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, well, um, besides reading your, your book, Downsizing, any other uh, advice you might give to people who are new to the concept of, you know, w- thinking of their relationship with their material objects, their convoy? I would say, uh, you know, one thing, you know, we're talking here a lot about purging things from the house. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I would suggest, especially if you're in your early retirement years, instead of purging and pushing things away from you, I would try to embrace possessions Mm -hmm. and test their roles in the material convoy. So many things have been saved and are awaiting the kind of leisure that people now have when they're retired. So I say show the things you love, those Mm -hmm. books, those tools, those gadgets, 
the gardening equipment, the photo albums, oh, the box of family history, oh my goodness, uh, things that you put aside for fixing, things in the back of the closet. You put so many things away because I don't have time for that right now. And the more you were organized in your lifetime, the more you put away. So I say, instead of pushing things away, go rest upon that garden bench that nobody sits on. Go out there and sit there and figure out, does this thing really have a role in my life? Now, mm -hmm. is, if this is not the time to reintroduce those things to your life, then there is your answer very early about their importance in the material convoy. So if, you're really assessing value, and once you determine it's valuable, enjoy it thoroughly. Enjoy it. Yes, you we keep so many things. There's so many projects sitting about our house that we're going to get to someday. Well, are you? Test test some things. Yeah. I love that advice. I mean, it's just so friendly and accessible and um, sort of, uh, joyful and life-giving. You know, do you want to go back to beading? Let's make a little something and see what it feels like. Mm-hmm. I love that. David, where can people find out more about your, you have a long academic career in this, have been very involved in research on aging. Where can people find out more about your work? If you can spell my name, <laughs> if you can spell my name, and did you know there's a website called howmanyofme.com? Oh. You can type your first and last name in there and it will tell you how many people with that name exist in the United States of America. Well, when I try to make passwords and they have my name in them, they keep spitting it back and say, it's been used, it's been used, it's been sure. used. So I have a sense of that. But well, uh, yeah. I am the only David Eckert, spelled exactly the way I spell my name, in the United States of America. So uh -huh. Google Convenient. and you can get to um, um, some information about me, but also a link to um, the book on this subject that we were, um, we've prepared called Downsizing, Confronting Our Possessions in Later Life. And just so people know, it's David E-K-E-R-D-T. That's right. That's right. Oh, it's been such a pleasure to speak with you. I, I really uh, just so appreciate all of this sort of nuance about, you know, how we live and how we think about our things. It's just so important. Many of us miss shopping and have sort of had to adjust and do other things and learn about ourselves and kind of what makes us tick through this pandemic. So I really appreciate um thinking more deeply about this. Well, I'm pleased to be able to speak with you. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nicolechristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. 
If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And too much stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, uh, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.